Shall we pray together? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, that it is truth and life. Thank you for the way that you have worked in the lives of men like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who that quote is on the front of In Touch, and you have caused them to see the beauty of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in your word, and see that it's worth giving everything for. Please, our Father today, through your word, open our eyes to the joy of knowing Jesus, but also open our eyes to the seriousness of following him. For his name's sake, amen. I was uh, sitting in my study uh, a few years ago. One of my kids was off school, and they were doing the usual thing. I put them in front of the DVD in the the sitting room. Sitting in my study, working on a sermon, and suddenly there's this this cry. Dad, Dad, the TV's not working properly. You know that one? Oh, well, I thought. (laughs) That's her problem. Just pause. Uh, dad, Dad, it's making, uh, it's making funny, funny popping noises. Well, if only she'd learned to use the remote control properly, she could sort out the sand. Dad, there's smoke pouring out the top of it. I was up out of my uh, a chair like a shot into the sitting room, and sure enough, there was the TV, smoke billowing out of the top. I ran towards it, thought, electricity, bad. Just a little tip for the top, you young men and women. I went to the fuse box and turned it off first, returned to the television that was still flaming, grabbed it in my hands, took it out the front door. Now, if I'd known that our TV was actually going to burst into flames a few minutes before and fill our house with the smell of acrid, burnt plastic for about a month afterwards, I might have been quicker to have responded. You see, uh, urgency usually only comes upon us when we see that something is both important, it really matters, and imminent, it's going to happen soon. And I think urgency is something that not often characterises our lives as Christians. You see, we've been slightly inoculated by the fact that it's been about 2,000 years since the Lord Jesus was on earth and told us that one day he was going to return, a day that he describes as being very important, the day when the whole world is held to account by him. But he also describes as being imminent, a day that could happen very soon. Because there is a too late when it comes to following Jesus Christ. Did you see that in our reading? In verse 25, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. The door to heaven will be closed and there'll be no way in. So we're going to see this morning why we should be urgent as Christians. Uh, the context from last week, you might remember, we're in a section of Luke's account of Jesus' life, where in chapter 9, verse 51, Jesus has set off resolutely for Jerusalem. That's an extraordinary thing, because we know Jerusalem is where his enemies are. Jerusalem is the place that he is going to die. But that is God's plan for his son, that he would go to Jerusalem and die in our place, that we might be welcomed into relationship with him. And in the context of that journey to his death, Jesus teaches his disciples and the crowds around him what it means to be his follower. And we see this morning he teaches them about urgency. And we need to be urgent first because the kingdom is big 
The kingdom is big. Have a look at verse 18 with me. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? You see, just before this, last week, we saw there was a Jewish religious leader, the synagogue ruler, who thought the kingdom of God was all about his little rule keeping. And Jesus had shown, no, it was about God's compassionate love on people. And now he explodes that little man's little idea of what it is to be in relationship with God into something far bigger. Verse 19. It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden, It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. The mustard seed's tiny, about the size of a pinhead. It grows to a bush, a tree, about 10 to 12 feet tall. Very small to really quite large. But, But Luke's emphasis isn't so much on the size as who then hangs out in the branches of the tree. You see, the birds of the air... Well, perching in its branches, that's an image from the first half of the Bible, the Old Testament. In the book of Ezekiel and the book of Daniel, when that image is used, it's an image of people from the nations of the world. You see, Jesus is saying, my kingdom is small, but it's going to get big. But most importantly, people from every tribe and country and nation in the world are going to be members of my kingdom. See, what looks like a a tiny group of people in Jerusalem, trekking to Jerusalem in in Luke 13, a place where their their leader will die, is going to become a worldwide phenomenon involving all kinds of people from all kinds of places. Its influence, in fact, is going to permeate everything. That's the point of the second parable picture story. Look at verse 20. Again, he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Is like, oh, yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 30 kilograms of flour until it worked all through the dough. A little yeast, quite a lot of flour. If you're you're a home baker, you'll you'll think, 30 kilograms of flour? But, But yeast is like that. Once you put it in, it goes through everything. It permeates the whole batch. You can't stop it. So it'll be with my kingdom, says Jesus. That the whole world is going to be affected by the kingdom of God. So so it's an obvious question, isn't it? But let me ask you, what is the big thing happening today? You know, for for lots of people, it'll be the World Cup final. Perhaps you hate football. Perhaps it's tennis and it's Wimbledon. I mean, I guess a lot of people are saying it's Brexit or President Trump going home, whoopee. What's the big thing happening in the world today? Well, the big thing... The irresistible program that the God of the universe is running is the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the purpose of history. It's, as you probably heard, his story. And that is why today is here. Did you know it took 1,400 years for 1% of the world's population to become Christians? It took 360 further years for that to double to 2%. Another 170 years for the 2% to grow to 4%. And then between 1960 and 1990, the proportion of the world's population made up by Bible-believing Christians rose from 4% to 8%. So that in 2007, that's the 
most up-to-date stats I could get, one-third of the world's population professed to be Christian, and 11% would have called themselves Bible-believing evangelical Christians. Evangelical Christianity is growing twice as fast as Islam and three times as fast as the world's population. South America today is becoming Protestant faster than Europe did during the Reformation in the 16th century. Jesus says, you've missed how big I am. This kingdom I'm bringing in, it is the thing. It's going to involve all types of people. It's going to be everywhere. Now, do you realize that? Isn't that a huge encouragement? You know, when you're the only Christian in your workplace, or the only Christian in your family, or, or there are just a few of us gathered here compared to the thousands around us today. No, the kingdom of God, small start, huge beginning, small group in one place, all over the world. That, that's what God is doing today. It's a huge kingdom. That's what really matters today. And one day, everyone will see that. That'll be the only thing that will matter to every human being. Do they have Jesus as king? Because that's the second reason to be urgent. You see, the kingdom might be big, but the door is little. Kingdom big, door little. Look at verse 22 with me. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Here's our king. He's going to die for you. And on the journey, just like when anyone gets together to to talk about religion, there are sort of questions. Look at verse 23. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? It's a question that was raging in Jesus' day. It's not the question I often have as, as I maybe feel small and alone as a Christian and I'm standing in little and think, does anyone else believe this? No, no, for the Jews of Jesus' day, the question was, do you just have to be Jewish to, to be going to heaven? Or do you have to be Jewish and keep the law to go to heaven? And as they looked around, they thought, there are not many people living as good Jews. Are only a few going to be saved? That's the issue. Now, it's important that we engage with people's real questions when we talk to them. But often a question is a smokescreen. It's hiding the real issue behind it. And Jesus knows the real issue for every human being is not will few be saved, but Will you be saved? That's the real issue for us all this morning. Not few, but you. And so look what he says in verse 24. He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Make every effort. It's an appeal for an effort that strains. We actually get our word agonize from the Greek word for make every effort. So this isn't like make every effort to eat that cream cake or make every effort to relax on the sun lounger. This is make every effort to complete the last lap of a hard race. Make every effort to go to the gym. It's a word that's covered in sweat. It's a word that can't help but grunt like Uh, Djokovic and Nadal were doing yesterday in their semi-final. It's a word that actually you have to say like that. The word is agonodzistai. It's make every effort to enter through the narrow door. It's a door that's held open by the outstretched arms of Jesus on the cross. 
and that's where the appeal comes from, from the one who's going to die, make every effort because many will want to, and many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. I want you to be in no doubt, says Jesus Christ, that there'll be loads of people wanting to get into heaven, but, but on that day, not many will be able to. And he tells us a story to, to explain why. The first issue seems to be one of time. Look at verse 25. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. It's a picture of, I guess, Jesus standing at the door of a house. His family are already in, that they're at home. Uh, when others come knocking, they've told that, the, that we don't know who they are, but we just know that they don't fit in there. It's a bit like a, a random stranger coming to your door on a Saturday night, ringing your bell and saying, oh, could I come in? <laughs> you politely tell them to clear off. No, no, you can't come in. I don't know who you are. I'm, I'm renowned in our family for, for going up to strangers who I think I know and saying hello to them. There was Dave. It's great to see Dave after a long time in Costa Coffee. It was lovely. I I went over, greeted him warmly, pumped his hand, asked him how his family were, told him I hadn't seen him for years, and I missed it. Problem was, it wasn't Dave. (laughs) Poor bloke. Not a clue who I was, and in the end, I had no clue who he was. That's terribly embarrassing, isn't it, if you go up to people and actually you and they don't know each other. But this is not just a little embarrassing. This is a disaster is you realize that your destiny rests on whether you know Jesus Christ. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. And the Bible teaches us on the day Jesus returns to judge the world, the door of coming to him for forgiveness will close forever. And it will be too late then to make up our minds about him. Our urgency... Therefore, in the task of sharing Jesus, comes from the fact that time is limited. You know, I love, say, the events we put on here. They're great. I, I love our quiz nights. It's been wonderful to see people inviting friends. I think the courses we put on are brilliant. We're going to do Ask 3-1 again this summer, just asking people. They could ask God one question, what would it be? I love us doing that. But can I urge us as a church, don't wait for the next course or event or prompt from the front, the next kick up the pants from the pastor to make every effort in sharing the gospel with your friends, with with those you love, with your family. Time is limited. And people need to be encouraged to enter through the narrow door. And if you're not yet a Christian and and you're here this morning, it's fantastic you're here. We love people coming to hear about the good news of Jesus because we genuinely believe it's the best news in the world. And we genuinely believe it is the news that you need to hear. But can I say to you, you don't have forever to weigh this stuff up. Because on a day and a day we don't know when, the opportunity to come to Jesus for forgiveness, the door will shut and that'll be it. Because this passage in the end is a strong encouragement to accept Jesus. You see, if one problem is the door is narrow because of time, the next problem is that the door is narrow because, well, people, people just have the wrong presumptions. Here's the second mistake. Look at verse 26. 
Then you'll say, we ate and drank with you and and you taught in our streets. The people outside the door of the house have been hanging around with the owner. They've been to the same parties. They've engaged him in polite conversation. Oh, we do know you, Jesus. I mean, don't don't you remember? We were there when you went round to tea with our friends. When when we sat down, we were at the end of the table. You, You were teaching. Oh, we loved what you had to say. You're a very good speaker, Jesus. It was, it was fascinating. The, the material, it was very thought-provoking. Oh, but then they just left and, and got on with life for themselves. I think this is probably the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day. They know so much about God, but they don't know God. To the extent that he can walk amongst them in the person of his son, they don't recognize him. In fact, they reject him. Verse 27, but he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers. We were just uh, praying before the service uh, through in the Aunt Lounge again, and someone wisely in their prayer said, these are probably the most terrifying words anyone will hear in the Bible. I don't know you or where you come from me. Come from, away from me, you evildoers. And my paper told me yesterday that Twitter has been uh, purging itself of fake followers. Apparently a lot of people's followers in Twitter are bots. That's like sort of a, some sort of program. Uh, it's designed to make you feel like you've got a lot of followers. People have been losing them. Apparently Adele has lost 1 million of her 28.9 million followers. I'm sure she couldn't sleep because of that. Boris Johnson's lost a few thousand, so has Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, Theresa May lost 326 followers. They, they were fakes. Apparently, even some people have been paying to buy fake followers so their perceived popularity in the world looks better. But, but being a fake follower of Jesus Christ is far more serious. You see the implication here? The implication is that we might not realize it. That the person standing at the door who's not allowed in, they genuinely believe they should get in that door. Oh, we do know you. Oh, we, we hung around with you. We went to your building. We, we hung out with those lovely people. I, I mean, the implication here is that you can have a theology degree and know the Bible backwards, but unless you have Jesus as your king, the, the one who rules your life, the door is shut to you. Uh, presumably, it's, impossible, it's possible to, to enjoy friendship and love amongst people of the Spirit of God, God's church, But if you never come to Jesus and say, Lord, I am a sinner, and I need you to die for me as my saviour, take control of my life, I'm yours, then then the door is shut to you. I guess you could even go to Word Alive and not know Jesus. You could attend every youth group we put on from naught to 18 and not know Jesus. I was trying to work out as I was looking at this passage, how... How can you work that out? Because it's quite a frightening thing, isn't it? How could you think, what what might be the sign that you do definitely know Jesus in this passage? I guess it's back to verse 24. You see, are you someone who makes every effort to enter through the narrow door? It's that word again, agonoids isthe. Does, Does that what your Christian life feels like? Does your Christian life feel like a battle to put Jesus first in everything. 
Does he come top of the priorities? So other things are things you say no to compared to Jesus. Does he run your workplace and your family and your leisure time? Are you living knowing that the door that you want to walk through is Jesus is king of all of me? I think often we, we have the Christian life wrong. We, we sort of have this picture that if I'm genuinely a follower of Jesus, his strength in me will mean that I sort of float serenely through the troubles of life. It all feels nice and peace and calm. But that, that's not reality, is it? You know, when we're genuinely a follower of Jesus, we've got this battle going on where I want to do what I want to do and the Spirit of God in me is making me want to do what Jesus wants to do and it's agonizing. That's the life of a genuine Christian. It's an encouragement to you this morning if your life's a battle internally. That's a sign Jesus is your king. But if, if, if your life isn't that battle, then Jesus says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. And that's why we need to tell people about Jesus. It's great that we want people to come to, to Chessington Evangelical Church here. That's wonderful. But we want them to come to Jesus, really. It's great that, that people come on a course. But we want them to come to Jesus, to, to him as king of their whole lives. Because here's the third reason for urgency. It's because there's going to be a future division. A future division. Look at verse 28 with me. Jesus says, There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. You see, the Jews that Jesus is speaking to, they they assumed we're God's people. We're all going to be in the kingdom of God. I mean, heaven is our future. Like our great spiritual ancestors, you know, Abraham and the lads. And Jesus says, no, if you don't have me as your king, then you will have the dreadful experience of, of being so close but so far. Did you see that emphasis at the end of, of verse 28? You yourselves, it's you underlined, you yourselves will be thrown out. And weeping and gnashing of teeth is, is the expression of the horror, uh, of the frustration of, of realizing the, the, the mistake, the error, the dreadful thing you've done. For, for these Jews, it would have been the horror of seeing that was the Messiah. Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and we rejected him. And as a result, facing an agony worse than you can imagine. The the just punishment of the loving God who gave his son for you, whose forgiveness you rejected, or whose rule you would not take on. And Jesus uses the horror of finding out about that on Judgment Day, the, the fact that you, you've rejected the only hope you had, or, or you've taken him lightly and casually as a warning to these Jews who think they've got all the time in the world to, to make up their mind, all the time in the world to discuss theological niceties. My, my brother-in-law became a Christian outside Guildford Library. He was, he was walking down North Street with a friend, Uh, who was a Christian, and they were chatting about matters of eternal life and death, as you do when you're walking down North Street in Guildford. And uh, Michael said something like this in the middle of the conversation. So what you're saying to me is, if I don't accept Jesus as saviour, I will go to hell. And his friend said, yes, that's right. 
And Mick says, I saw it was a no-brainer. I guess he's hugely thankful to his friend for his honesty. The sort of honesty we see coming here from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who is the king of love. The one who is the king of compassion. The one who is always kind and always good to us. And yet says there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, evangelism is urgent because people without Jesus as king face an eternal and dreadful punishment. But with him, they face a certain and beautiful future. Verse 29, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Heaven's going to be full, you know. God's perfect, new, beautiful creation where all of his people will be, that no one God wants to be there will, will fail to be there. It's actually as close as Jesus gets to answering that question back in in verse 23. Are you going to be saved? No, he says. There'll be people from all over the place. It's going to be absolutely grand-packed in the glorious new creation. And do you see what sort of place it is? It's the feast in the kingdom of God. It's a picture of the, the great banquet of the Messiah, God's King. God's people will all be sitting down for dinner and the Lord himself will serve them. Can you imagine that? Sitting down, and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, if it's like Revelation, still with the scars in his hands from where he was nailed to the cross, those hands will bring you your dish. As, as he serves this beautiful feast for you, scarred hands, and pouring the wine he's moving between the tables there abundant fantastic blessings shared on his people it's a picture of the the greatest party of all a perfect party of loving relationships a party of of glorious eternal enjoyment a party where you and i will be the guests of honor And we will see Jesus face to face. A party where the cost of entrance has been fully and finally paid by the Lord Jesus Christ for us. Not because we deserve it, but because he loves us. Not cheaply, but by taking hell upon himself on the cross. The hell that we deserve so that we can have the heaven that we don't. See, those are the two futures for every human being who has ever lived. And the horror for the Jewish religious leaders is who's on the guest list. Do you see verse 30? Indeed, there are are those who are last who will be first, and and the first will be last. Some people who've heard about God's love and goodness and grace all of their lives, the first, will discover they've actually been rejecting the King of love himself, the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people who've just walked in off the street, who've just heard something of of Jesus from the Bible, who who maybe have come to follow him out of a, a messy, broken, dreadful existence, but they know Jesus is their King, and they're agonoids this day, day in, day out, as they struggle to follow him, and he is gonna be their priority, whatever it takes. Some people like that. People who who might look in the world's eyes a total wreck, but are fighting to follow King Jesus. 
the last. They're going to be first. You see, the difference is what you make of Jesus Christ. And Jesus tells this story to unsettle those who think they're okay, but don't actually take him that seriously. And he says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Did you know that? God is less interested in you being able to name the day you went forward at that youth event. He's not really that bothered about the day that you can remember being baptized. What the Lord Jesus cares about is, are you following him wholeheartedly today? Does he dominate your life today? In other words, is he your dominus, your Lord? Uh, During the last set of Nadal Djokovic yesterday, uh, the commentator said Djokovic was playing with the courage of his convictions. If you're, if you're a tennis fan, over the last couple of years, Djokovic has lost the courage of his convictions a bit, and he's been making a few mistakes, they say. But, but he was playing with the courage of his convictions, which meant that he was charging around the court like a maniac and going for extraordinary shots, and they were coming off, because he believed he was going to win. And I guess we need to follow Jesus with the courage of our convictions. To to believe that because of his grace, heaven is our home. To believe that he died for us, so that is where we're going. To believe that his kingdom is the thing that is happening in history today. To, To believe that he is the one who's the right not just to rule my life, but everyone's life. To believe that he is the one who is giving me all the good things I enjoy, so I should be worshipping him with them. To believe that he will return one day to judge the living and the dead, and on that day there will be heaven or hell for everyone. New creation and party and beauty in eternity, or dreadful experience of punishment. To have those convictions, and then to agonize this say. To make every effort to live today with the courage of those convictions. Charging around life. Doing extraordinary things by the power of the Spirit of God. Because we believe it's true. Shouldn't we at least have the commitment of a tennis player? I mean, they're knocking around a fluffy yellow ball to get a sort of cup and a bit of money. I can confidently say you will never run out of people to introduce Jesus to during your lifetime. Verse 29, people will come from east and west and south and north and take their places in the feast at the kingdom of God. That the banquet's going to be full. And some of those we least expect will come because of God's grace to know Jesus and follow him. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and the first will be last. So make every effort, agonize, to enter through the narrow door. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he only says to us that which he says out of love. He only speaks out of kindness. He only gives what is good for us. 
And so though this passage is troubling, we want to thank you for it. And we ask, Lord Jesus, knowing that we cannot in our own strength make every effort. Knowing if left to our own devices, we, we walk out of here and live for ourselves all over again. That by the power of your spirit, you'd fix in our hearts the truths of the gospel, the wonder of your kingdom, that we might make every effort, every day, to follow you in your strength. For your name's sake. Amen.